Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome once again to the show made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well today we're joined by a West Coast Eagles icon. Dean Kemp, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, was a scrawny snowy haired kid from Kalgoorlie who just happened to go on to become a two-time premiership player, a Norm Smith medalist, an All-Australian and a club champion across a 12-year, 243-game career with the Eagles. An AFL Hall of Famer who was loved by fans and highly respected by rivals, Kemp's uncanny skill was matched only by his enormous courage. Dean, welcome. Thanks a lot for your time. Oh, perfect. Jeez, that was a lovely introduction, mate. Very nice. Thanks for that. Well, should I call you, Dean? I mean, I know you're known by a lot of people as Tommy. I mean, for those for those unfamiliar, what are the origins of Tommy? Oh, Tommy. Tommy's um, a nickname my dad called me, uh, gave me when I was a young fellow back in Kalgoorlie growing up. And um, I used to have tomato sauce and everything, you know, so it called me Tommy sauce from that. But I used to tell people it was because of my big build. <laughs> I was built like a tank engine, Tommy the tank engine, but not many people remember, I believe that, mate. But, but so that's how Tommy came about. And I was also, uh, you know, very, I had very, very blonde hair when I was growing up. A lot of hair back then in the old days. And um, But Dad just also called me Tommy the Tommy. So a few different scenarios there growing up. So Tommy is in tomato sauce. What is the most unusual thing you prepared to slap the dead horse on? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I had I held the record. I, I did my apprenticeship up in Kalgoorlie. Um, as a, I, I was just 14 and a half when I started my apprenticeship. I finished by the time I was 18 and uh, as an electrician. And I've still got the record now for the most pies and sausage rolls uh, ever eaten at Smoko. So I had four pies, <laughs> nine sauces, a sausage roll and a large iced coffee for Smoko. Oh. So that record still stands. And um, I, admittedly, I couldn't move much in the roof and I had to get up in the roof space at the time to try and fix some lights. But that record still stands with all those sources. So that's something I'm pretty proud of. Now, how long? Hang on. How long was Smoke? I was an apprentice. Well, we can't be talking about a big window of time here. <laughs> we need a bit of time then, yeah. <laughs> when the boss wasn't there, it was fine. We'll come back to Kalgoorlie because, of course, that's where it all started. Where has life taken you post-career? Where, I think we find you at the footy club at the moment, but where do you? where's home? No, I'm, I'm down here in Mark River at the moment in my office um i've got a hospitality wholesale business in margaret river so i've uh, i've had that now for about eight nine ten years or something you better tell us what it's called there uh tommy what's uh, give us a give so us a plug down south wholesale very very good name down south wholesale people shouldn't forget that one but um yeah i've been down in margaret ever since i finished playing footy actually so nearly 20 odd years now 20 21 years now so um as soon as i finished playing um within a month my wife and my kids would all move down straight to margaret river and been here ever since what a great lifestyle it must be down there oh it's wonderful yeah we get down the beach and a bit of surfing a bit of fun and um 
you know, so many wineries and uh, so many things to see. We're very, very lucky to be in this part of the world. Now you mentioned the surfing. It was uh, it was huge over there recently, wasn't it, for the Margaret River Pro? You didn't no chance of a wild card entry? <laughs> no hope for me, mate. No. When it gets that big, I just stay on shore and watch watch the professionals go out and admire it. But uh, yeah, they had some huge swell. And not last year, obviously, with COVID. I think it was the year before before COVID come. They had some big swells then. And yeah, we're so lucky. You know, we have that raw sort of um, raw sort of corner of of the state that gets all that big swell coming through, you know. So it's a pretty well-renowned breakdown here and we get lots of international surfers and, um, yeah, it's great to watch them. So you mentioned the family, uh, your wife, Karen, and your two boys, is it Sonny and Robbie? That's right, yeah, Sonny and Robbie, yeah. So um, uh, Robbie's still at high school, but Sonny's uh, just about finished his electrical apprenticeship. So he's a sparky like me, mate, so he's got his head screwed on. So there's no money in footy, just always in the trade. That's where the money is, <laughs> what I try to teach him. Do they play for fun? They, uh, the younger one still plays a bit of footy. The older one mainly plays basketball and volleyball, so he's into that, So, uh, which is good. Um, don't get as many injuries, I reckon. Yeah, uh, no doubt. So uh, if I can ask you now as an observer, you're strictly an observer now, as a proud former Eagle, though, has it been hard to watch the position that the club finds itself in at the moment? Because thankfully they've had, I guess, very few dark moments in, in their history over the course of 35-odd years. Oh, mate, it's excruciating. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, and we've been so lucky. You know, as you say, we've been really, really successful for a club to come in, you know, a, a pretty young sort of club. We really were, we played finals a lot of lot of years, you know, and um, like enough to snag a few premierships along the way so for our supporters and uh, to be seeing us in this rut it's not easy I mean I know when I retired in, in 2001 we were going through a bit of a transitional period there as well we, we were sort of down there towards the bottom of the table and um, then I think in 2002 we got some good picks you know obviously we've got Chris Judd and a few other young kids coming through and all of a sudden our fortunes changed so we're hoping that you know we can turn it around I talked to Trevor Nisbet quite regularly, regularly and um, he's confident that we can turn around but it's going to take a bit of time yeah and you know it's always hard when you come towards the end of your career no one wants to finish I mean I know what it's like when I started and you know sort of myself and Brett Hetty and these guys were coming through the system and you had Steve Malaxis and, and John Anir and, and Murray Rance and these older guys there that sort of had to make way for us and it's not nice but that's just the way in the evolution of football that when the young guys come through they're the ones to be able to you know hopefully fire up the older guys but obviously also some older guys are going to have to make way for these young kids coming through and, and that's where the Eagles are at the moment. Yeah it's hard to recall a lower ebb in there as I say three and a half decade history to be honest and in your connection to the club at the moment, is it strictly as a fan? Do you still get up for the odd game? No, I don't. I haven't been up for a few years, but um, I always keep an eye on it when, when I can. I've got the junior footy down here that I'm involved with with my boys and that so I sort of love following that and it seems to always be on when the, you know, when the boys are playing so you sort of don't get to see too many games but you know like anything you grew up you know I played all my footy there and so many wonderful memories and um, we've got our big 30th uh, year anniversary coming up this week so head up to Perth tomorrow for, for three or four days uh, celebrations for the boys so we're looking forward to that so hopefully we can bring a few smiles to a few people up there in Perth Of course 92 reunion I'd, for, I'd forgotten that it, it's escaped my mind this will be large? Oh, it'll be huge, yeah. Yeah, so the first premiership, so we've got a big turnout, so hopefully, obviously, Peter Matera's, uh, he got a bit crook the other week, so yeah. old Rue won't be there, which would be a bit of a shame, but he'll be there in spirit, and um, yeah, we're going to have a good time, for sure. Now, Shannon Hearn wasn't playing in 92, but he was playing in 2018. Now, you presented him with the cup <laughs> over here at the MCG. How amazing was that? I mean, if we're talking about highlights post your career, in career you had plenty, but how special was that to hand the cup over? Oh, well, you wouldn't believe it. In 2015, I had the opportunity to do it. We played Hawthorne. So I was 
going to be, you know, uh, getting the cup to hopefully the winning captain of the Eagles. But um, uh, the Hawks, I can always remember, I went down to the ground with Peter Knights and we had the cup and we're holding it out there and did a few shots and quickly get off the ground before the game started. So um, we're racing back to our seats and I heard a big roar and I looked at Knights, he looked at me and oh, I said, I thought I hope it was the Eagles. And anyway, so we got up there, I said to the young bucks sitting, I said, here we go. I said, yep, we kicked the first goal. I said, you, you, so I'll go get a beer and that was the last goal we got. So we sat down <laughs> for the whole game. With Knights in my ear right there and, oh, mate, dipper behind us. And it was just the most painful <laughs> bloody two hours. But it was great. It was a good experience. I had fun. I never, ever thought I'd ever get the chance again after what I'd done there to the Eagles. I thought, well, I'm the bad omen here. This is terrible. They're never going to bite me back. But, yeah, I got the, the invite back a few years later and, and what a game, you know. Like, <laughs> and this time I was with Tony Shaw and I remember standing down on the boundary line with Shorey and um, Hardy from uh, Brisbane. He was presenting the Norm Smith uh, medal. Yep. And um, both had the cup in our hands together and we watched and this was when that last transition of play come about from McGovern uh, to the big Ruckman and then to Flying Ryan and up to Sheed, you know, and then we kicked the goal and Tony Shaw <laughs> looks at me and drops his head, you know, <laughs> he was disgusted. <laughs> and I just grabbed the cup and said, mate, I'd better take that off you. So I grabbed hold of it and I didn't let it go until we go to the, to the captain and the coach. That was an amazing time, you know, one that we totally stole. Like, we just how we sort of did it because it was very uh, reminiscent of 2015 when Hawthorne kicked first four or five goals you know against us in that grand final they were four or five up at quarter time or something and the same thing with Collingwood and I thought oh not again you know mm-hmm. but to work our way back was was an almighty You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We're off and running with Dean Kemp. And for all his heroics in Perth, though, Tommy's game was forged 600 kilometres or thereabouts east in Kalgoorlie. So we're going to go back down memory lane with Dean Kemp after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And we're chatting to Norm Smith medalist, two-time Premiership Eagle, Dean Kemp. Dean, Kalgoorlie, the Railways Football Club. How did it harness your passion for the game? Oh, well... um... Yeah, all my, you know, my family, I've got uh, two brothers, two sisters, and we all grew up in a big sporting family in Kalgoorlie. Um, played every sport possible, like the you know, majority of kids up in Kalgoorlie, there wasn't much else to do. So it was um, such a big part of our life. And uh, I remember always going to the footy and um, watching my older brothers play and getting into the change rooms and, and meeting all the league players. And, and, you know, just thought one day, what well, it's going to be great if I could get there and, and play footy, you know. And, and play at the league level and, you know, obviously used to go home Sunday nights and watch the winners and I loved Geelong, I think Geelong's a quarter and used to love watching uh, Turner and, you know, all these guys out there. Um, man, Kirk, back in the day when uh, when the caps were flying and used to have the Geelong jumper, I used to wear along to, to the to the footy on the weekend in Kalgoorlie and, yeah, I really had a passion for it from the start and my older brother's probably about five years, one's five years old and one's seven years old. So they used to beat me up a fair bit playing footy in the backyard and that sort of helped me, I think, um, you know, get a bit of motivation and get a bit of sternness about, you know, never giving up and, and keeping at it. And so it just sort of followed on. And when I get to play league footy in Kalgoorlie, you know, playing against growing hard and sort of miners, most of them used to work underground in the mines. And yeah, there was no sort of... Uh, 
uh, you know, leeway given at all, no matter how old you were, and um, sort of learnt pretty early on that you need to protect yourself, otherwise there was, there was sort of trouble around the corner. Seniors at 16, wasn't it? Yeah, 17 it was, yeah. Right. So I always remember actually Tim Jett, uh, Jeppy, um, come up and he was with, uh, must have been with Subiaco, because we were Subiaco's zoned area through the Waffle program, and he'd come and do a league training session one night, and we were there, and away and he said, right, a bit of one-on-one inside, you know, uh, all form a big circle, you know, and we'll see if we can't, you know, bash the crap out of each other a bit. And um, so I jumped in there with this other bloke and Jeffy fought up and said, hey, 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 hang on, hang on, this young fella can't get in there. You know, I was about 45 kgs. <laughs> and all the other boys said, no, no, he's all right, that's fine. But um, Jeffy sort of stood back and, you know, I got through that that exercise and sort of come to me afterwards and said, you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah. And, um, I don't know, ever since then, I sort of had a bit of a connection with Subiaco and Trevor Nesbitt was uh, was someone that sort of followed my football progress pretty closely. He was with Subiaco and my older brother played with Subiaco, so they had kept an eye on me and um, as I was coming through the system. So it was uh, yeah, wonderful times up in Kagoo, you know, what football was all about and um, the atmosphere and the volunteers and the people involved with footy and just... Such a you know a fantastic atmosphere to everyone that, that played the game. You know, you mentioned your brothers. I mean, just just staying on family. I think your father Bob passed away in the mid eighties. You might have been around sixteen years of age. So he obviously never got to see you play beyond juniors. I mean, it must have always been in your heart and mind that he would have. I mean, he would have loved to have seen what you went on to become. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, he. Um, you know, we used to go around in the mornings in the ute, pick up all the kids to play footy in the under-12s and the 14s, you know, and my dad was always there. So it was a shame that, you know, it happened like that, but, you know, he was really a big supporter and uh, he just would have loved to have seen me, me play there for sure. Mm. And, and and you mentioned that you, you barracked for Geelong and I think he was the link, wasn't he? Or, or was John Watts was friends with your old Yeah, he, he was linked, yeah. So he's uh, best mates with John, John Kay at Big Big Watsy and Dad and him were best men at each other's wedding, so it was a real strong connection there. And um, I used to barrack for East Perth and the Waffle because Watsy played there at East Perth, and then obviously when he went to Geelong, we followed Geelong. So always barrack for them, and um, you know I was hoping one day to, to get over to, that way to Geelong and play, but never ever eventuated. But I always remember when uh, when Mick Moldhouse uh, comes to the Eagles in '89 when I got drafted, and he left, and he came to the uh, Eagles, and he told me a story that he'd, he'd written two names up on the whiteboard there for. I think it might have been Terry Wheeler that might have been taking over the, the Bulldogs back then. And the names were myself and Brett Hetty. And um, he, he wrote them up there and put them on the whiteboard. And he said they just got wiped off because he thought that uh, you know, Mick was just sort of taking the piss a little bit. But um, it ended up being that both of us were drafted to the Eagles as well. And So uh, you mentioned your support for East Perth and the Waffle. I think you were fanatical. You had all the names on the back of your pencil case I, I, I was reading. Oh, and- always. Yeah. Yeah. I still just about remember them all now. John Einmunger and Stephen Curtis and all the guys. I can still remember them. And, and Rob Wiley, I think, is a Kalgoorlie man as well, was one of your idols. Robbie, he, yeah. He also wore well, Robbie was he, he grew up and uh, he was at my same football club in Kalgoorlie, the Railways Footy Club, and there's a great photo of Rob when he was a mascot. and would have been seven or eight years old. And then I was the mascot, you know, 15 years later, the same sort of photo of me sitting in the front of the league team. So it's funny how, um, you know, you follow paths down. A lot of people from Kalgoorlie do have sort of ties and connections with people through the city. So yeah. Uh, it was amazing when I met Rob. It was great. And if we're talking idols, there was another number two you took a liking to, didn't you, with a similar frame, uh, the great Robert Flower at, at Melbourne. Yeah, big Robbie. He was like me, mate. He couldn't put a kilo on, could he? <laughs> Mick Moldo said that when I joined the Eagles, I was 72, and when I left the Eagles, I was 73. So I put on one kilo over about 13 <laughs> years. So that goes to show you all those pre-seasons. You can build yourself up, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so exactly. So the hard track. I'm not sure if this helped, but you, you obviously you zoned to Subiaco, so you get to the waffle in '89. Was it a steep learning curve there in the immediate sense, or was you know playing seniors up there in Kalgoorlie, you know the hard tracks of the gold fields? Did that did that shortcut a steep learning curve potentially when you got there? I think so. It helped me. I um I always had a confidence in myself. I was never. A- you know, an outspoken person or anyone overly confident. But inside, I had a confidence that I could definitely play um, against the bigger guys and older guys. And, yeah, I was lucky enough that um, yeah, Hayden Button Jr. was our coach back then and he gave me a start early on and, you know, I got in the team. The year before, Subiaco had won the flag, but the year that I played in 89, I think we finished about second or third last. So, um, Trevor Nesbitt always says that um, we weren't, Subiaco weren't on the TV much then, so it was a, it was a good way for me to go under the radar and, <laughs> and get to the Eagles. And I think you mentioned his name earlier, but you'd come to know Nizzy around this time. Trevor Nisbet is a young fellow, wouldn't you? Now, he's obviously been CEO for, since forever, I think 99, but he was football manager from 89 at the club. So how did you cross paths with, with Nizzy? Yeah, so, so Nizzy was at Subiaco when I first joined Subi. Right. And uh, I had that 12-month connection there with him. And my brother had been there for two or three years before that, and uh, got to know Nizzy, but um, I, I sort of uh, years before that, um, he'd come up and watched some football in Kalgoorlie and, and took a little bit of interest in me. But I was, you know, still very young then, but he'd always sort of kept in contact. And, and even to this day, you know, he's a great mate. We've always been, uh, always been very close. So he uh, always kept an eye out for me and, um, you know, and watched my footy. And, and I thought one day that, you know, he might be a chance to. And then actually it worked out that he came to the Eagles that following year that, that I got drafted, so it worked out pretty good. You're with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, Dean isn't in the waffle for long. The Eagles are about to come knocking, and an incredible career is about to take off. That's next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with decorated West Coast legend Dean Kemp. So, Dean, the, the game's come, obviously, so far in so many ways, and one of them is the national draft, and you're a pretty good example of that. So you're listed as an additional selection for the Eagles, I think was the term used, in 89. You were effectively pick 117. Now, that's reasonable value. As I see your premiership teammate, Peter Matera, we discussed earlier, he went at four that year. Ah, the Rue got all the big dollars, mate. That's what happens when you get drafted early. Yeah, but what, he, you know, I was, I was an add-on myself, and I think it might have been Brad Gwillem, and uh, Brad uh, went to play a, you know, a few games with the Eagles, and I think he went to Richmond for a couple of years. But, um, yeah, and Brett Hetty, I think he was a pretty late draft pick, around 90, 92 or something around that, and Tony Evans was 50-odd. So we, we picked up a few good players um, there, and, and Dean Irving was in there as well, and, and uh, Peter Wilson come back from Richmond. So we had a sort of a nucleus there. It was probably about five or six players that really went in straight away and played regular footy straight away, you know, from the first game in, in 1990. So it uh, definitely helped, um, you know, get the season on the way. And another element of the game that's obviously come on light years is the money on offer for players. Now, your first contract at West Coast. Now, I'm going to ask a personal question here. If I may ask, what was that worth? Because surely your relationship with, with Nizzy was going to be worth something here. Yeah, really sour. I really sour. We walked into that office. I can still remember it now. 
My brother was my manager. He was getting $150 a game from Subi. So it's probably not a good start. I shouldn't <laughs> have got him as my manager. So we walked in and Nezzy said, right, Tommy, uh, this is going to be the first contract. This is the first three years. I think it was seven, 7,000 base and uh, $1,000 a game and going up to 10,000 and then 12,500. So uh, by the time he put it on the table, my brother had seen the 10,000. He'd signed the thing already. You know, <laughs> I said, mate, we've got to hold back here a little bit, try and hold a bit of restraint. It was a dead giveaway, and as he knew, he had you straight away. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting, but I mean, back then it was you know awesome. I thought far out, that's just incredible. You know, even after having a big year, you know, we had a big year in '92, uh, had a lot of success, and I did quite well. And as he upgraded me, and I think it went to about 15 base and to 20 or whatever it was. So. Yeah. But it was a good start, and, and Trevor Nesbitt always made that pretty clear to all the young guys coming through the system that you had to earn your stripes, you know, six or seven good years of footy. And But the only problem with that is that by the time you get to the seventh and eighth year, you're very tired, you know, so then you're getting tired. So you're you past your prime, and now you're on the other side of the hill. So he says, well, now we've got to work something else out. You know, you're getting tired, and you're just about finished. But anyway, no, I was lucky enough. I always... Um, Club always looked after me, and um, yeah, there's no regrets there at all. It was all yep. good fun. No, it's a sweet spot to these things. Uh, yeah, um, so you were named West Coast Rookie of the Year 1990, and then the awards come thick and fast. But the most significant part, I'm sure, for you was the team success that was about to come. So you lose a prelim to Essendon in 90. You lost a grand final to Hawthorne in 91. And finally, a historic moment, West Coast first flag that you're about to have the reunion for in 92 against Geelong. The first flag in club history. I mean, when it's raised with you, what is the first thought that comes into your mind. What memories does it invoke? It was such an incredible time for WA, you know, not just for the Eagles, but for the whole state. I mean, we were the only team back then. And and, I, and I've seen some, you know, awesome photos of when we were playing from people back home, taking up the freeway and the highway and those sorts of things where there wasn't even a car in sight. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was so incredible. And we were so lucky to have the whole state behind us. And, um, you know, it was obviously a few years before Frio come into this, the competition. But, you know, like it's... Um, I don't know what you sort of call it, but it was just such an emotional ride to, to win a premiership, you know, and, and to, with all those special friends that, you know, our contact, our, our bond now is, it's very true what they say, if you win a premiership together, there is something there for the rest of your life. And the guys that uh, play, we're lucky enough to play, we uh, we have a connection that's, you know, that's unbelievable, really. It's, yeah. uh, it's really hard to explain it. I remember that when the 90s, when we were playing those finals, it just said against Essendon, Collingwood, and these teams, and I think my first year, I think uh, the last five uh, five games were on the road, you know, and it was you know, game after game after game. I ended up playing, I think it was 25 or 26 games my first year, you know, and I was so you know, so exhausted. I said to Brett Hetty, you know, he's, he's, we used to sit next to each other on the, on the plane. I said, mate, if we have to do this every year, I reckon we've got about three or four years total in our careers because this is just crazy, yeah. you know. But the amount of highs that we were able to have, you know, had a lot of success and, and really getting on a plane and going to play in Melbourne was so exciting and bonding for our group. It wasn't a chore. It was it was more fun than, than anything, you know, because it was where all the big games were played and that's where we wanted to play. And it was never thought of as a negative or something hard or, or bad for us. It was really Malthouse had it, you know, sort of shoved down our, our, in our brains that, um that's where we need to be. That's where we need to play good football. That's the, the best place to play big football. And that's where the grand finals are. And that was something that we never looked at as a negative. It was just fun to get away together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I suppose back then we were a bit luckier as well. You, you know, you had a Friday night game and get to go out with the boys and meet the other boys from the other team and, you know, have a few beers and laughs. But that, that's how it was back then. And it was, you know, it was wonderful, wonderful time. 
So all that time on the road, all that time together and all that success, and we'll get to, to 94 in a moment, you're obviously a tight and a close group. So who drove the standards and, and set the tone? We'll get to the comic relief in a moment, but who drove the standards and set the tone? <laughs> oh, it was always it was always Warsaw, you know, Johnny Warsaw. I mean, he's only a young guy. He's only a year older than me. It's been 2021 or something back then. And, you know, it's like he's a 35 year old guy. You know, like the things you used to do and the standards you used to set, you know, and, and the things you do on the field, you used to see how ferocious and the things you do for the club and for his teammates. There's just no way that anyone would, you know, say the, say the wrong thing out of line or do the wrong thing because, you know, you had Warthold and then obviously on top of that, Moldhouse to, to come down on you, you know. So those two guys really drove, you know, Wisher from the playing side of thing and Mick from, uh, you know, from team selection and other sort of exercises that Mick would do with us really drove the professionalism. We went really quickly from being semi-semi-professional to, to really being professional within three or four years, I reckon, you know, by the mid-90s where guys still had jobs and that, but the majority of guys coming on were sort of looking to try and make it a full-time commitment. Mm. And um, it was a big change and it was an exciting change for sure. And the resident comics, I mean, I know Bluey McKenna's uh, got a got oh, a bit of a sharp wit. Brett Hetty, or was Brett Hetty? Oh, big ears, yeah, big ears was, is very funny. Yeah, was big yeah. ears more the victim of the pranks as opposed to the incident. He always was. Yeah. yeah, one time he stole Brett's car. Brett had a brand new buddy car. He's that excited, you know. He had a soft top car, whatever, no roof or something. So he drove into training and got all the boys there after training. He can't boys come out and look at my new car. And buddy went out, there was no car there. And Bluey stole the keys and driven out in the middle of Subiaco Oval, you know. I was sitting out there and the sprinklers come on. All the whole car got wet. And um, But he's always doing things like that. I mean, I know actually Brett Hetty is a funny story. He'd come and pick me up at my place. So I lived in City Beach in Perth, you know, the coast. And uh, he bought this Porsche, this new Porsche. He said, come here, look at this, got this new car. I said, oh, beautiful, yeah. So he said, come in for a drive. Said, okay, we'll go for a run, you know. So I jump in, it's got all this white carpet, beautiful white shower, you know, beautiful carpet on the floor. I said, that's magnificent, you know. Anyway, so we're going along uh, West Coast Highway there. So he wound it up a little bit, you know, and we're clonking along. And there's a guy in front of us, about two, 300 metres, he was turning left. And I thought, this guy's going to come across the road here and, you know, so we get closer and closer and then had to slam the brakes on and, you know, everything was okay. But we got back to my house and I jumped out. So that's it, mate. I'm not you're driving you no more. You, you know, you're silly. You're driving fast. And um, be it to me, I didn't know. But when I jumped in, I picked up a big poo off the lawn on my, at my place, you know. So I had a big sloppy poo on the foot. And uh, when he hit the brakes, you know, my feet had hit the bloody wall panels and this bloody poo and everything all over this, all over his white carpet. And it was just... It was just the aroma was just building just as I was getting out, you know, you had the heater on and that. And I said, right, I'm out of here. Well, he ended up selling that car about two months later. He reckons you could never get that smell out of it. But um, oh, we had some funny characters there, mate, for sure. There was there was no shortage of them. I love it. I love it. Didn't have much luck with his cars by the sound. Um, so, and 94, I mean, to have the two medals dangling around the neck, um, you obviously win another premiership. You judge Norm Smith uh, medalist. Now, I know in the moment, it's all about the team. But looking back there must be a big satisfaction that, that comes with that and, and I don't know you tell me maybe even the highlight of your career in that moment yeah it definitely was I mean the highlight was the first premiership no doubt I mean right. that was so so incredible you know that one but to win the Norm Smith uh, in 94 and to, to play the catch you know the team I grew up barracking for again Toby Bairstow and Buddha Hocking and, and Pickering and these guys that we had some good battles with over the years you know they had an amazing amazing team you sit down and watch them play you know and, I think, how the hell are we going to beat these guys? You know, Hamlet's kicking five or six, but 
I don't know, we just had a really good blend right, right across all the sort of lines, I think, you know, from our back line to our forward line and centre line. And, yeah, to win that, uh, to win the North Swiss medal, because, I mean, all you're trying to do at the first part of a grand final is just get a touch you know, early, and that's all you want to do is get involved. You know, whether it's a tackle or a shepherd or something, just get involved with the play just to take a few of the nerves away. Tip on the end of it, usually keeps a cool head, runs around Mitch. He is supreme, isn't he, Dean Kemp? But Wilson over the left shoulder, Kemp. 45 metres out, Dean Kemp. Will this be a goal? Yes, it will. You know, to get off to a good start and get a few kicks and then get onto a bit of a roll, and the team did. Yeah, it was it was lovely. Uh, it was a lovely feeling. And, you know, to top it off, that was a proud moment. My dad would have been pretty happy with that one, for sure. Oh, indeed. And were you the nervous type in the build-up? Yeah, always pretty nervous, yeah, yeah. Mainly, mainly Chris Man wearing used to hit in the corner and do the heavy blowing up. <laughs> You know, drive everybody mad and sound like a boxer. And there are other guys that would do stuff, but I'd just sit there and just sort of try and take it all in and, and just try and think about what we need to do. And it's funny, some of the preparations that some of your old mates used to do. And, you know, the time you got out there, mainly done all this karate stuff and puffing and blowing. You think, you're going to be worn out before we get out there, you know, but... But everyone has a different preparation, you know, and, and uh, yeah. you know, it all worked out pretty good for us on those big days, yeah. So there were a lot of big days and there was a lot of success. And in this era, Peter Sumich and, and your good mate Brett Hetty, the Porsche owner, kicked 751 goals between them. I mean, did you ever ask for commission, given you laid it out on a platter for those guys? Oh, for those how, was the how was the delivery? How was the delivery? Actually, I went out, to some, went out with lunch with someone one time and I thought he was going to buy. It's actually like when I go out with Malthouse, the same thing. If you go out with them, you think they might buy something, you know, because I see Mick was going to... I ordered a flat white and Mick ordered this coffee that I'd never heard of before, latte, fleco, poppe, you know, thing. And <laughs> I thought, right, yeah, that's it. And uh, no, I had to pay for it. So, um, But I've got a good story actually about Malthouse. So when I was... Um, uh, doing my electrical, I finished my electrical apprenticeship. We come to Perth. My brother and I started Kemp Electrical, big, big, expensive uh, electrical business. We had a little van. We used to drive. We used to spend most of our time at the golf course playing on the golf there. But he did a few jobs, and Moldas wanted a job done. And I was a bit hesitant. I said to my brother, "Mate, I don't know, mate. You know, we're going to get paid. I don't know what the story is. You know, so, okay, we'll do it right over there." We're in the bathroom. And my brother said, "Right, I get on the roof. We're going to get some tiles. Like we could get this exhaust fan and that fixed." So, yeah, okay. So, anyway, I did the job and was putting the tiles back on the roof. Just as I put the last one back down, I stood back and cracked one of the tiles. And then I turned around and cracked another one, for, you know, just trying to get off the roof and probably cracked three or four tiles, you know. I thought, oh, shit, no, that's no good. So, I tried to silicon up and silicon them up, but you wouldn't, you know, luck to have it, you know, it rained that night. So, anyway, the rain came in and Moldhouse's ceiling fell in in the bathroom. The whole thing came down, you know. Fell in. He tried to blame me. He tried to blame me. Yeah. So he still hasn't paid me for that job. We want to catch up a bit next. He needs to pay for that exhaust fan. It was only $75, so we're going to get that settled. And then we're going to get a coffee and we'll sit down and have a few laughs. So I'm looking forward to that. Just one last one. Hard work, mate. Just, hard work. Just one last one on Mick before we break. I mean, you had him for... Well, I'd say all year, career. You had him right until the very end when, obviously, Ken Judge took over. So your relationship with Mick, just as coach and player rather than customer and Sparky, what was that, what was that like? Oh, it was brilliant. It was yeah. great. It's, uh, and it still is. Yeah, I, I speak to him regularly. And I was, spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. Whenever I'm doing the lawns and I'm sitting on the mower, I'll, I'll give him a buzz. And he never rings me, but I always ring him. You know, he's always <laughs> doing somebody pay gig on the radio, whatever he's doing. So... But no, I love catching up with him and we always have laughs and uh, yeah, <laughs> he was always, 
he was always a prankster himself, old as you know. So he was always, you know, doing something with the footy club and, you know, stirring Brett Hetty up because we all like to stir Brett up, you know. So it was part and parcel of, of being an eagle, really, set to stir uh, big ears up and fire him up. So, but Moldass was a wonderful, you know, wonderful coach and, um, you know, really a lifelong friend to me. He helped me through a lot of situations, you know, hard, hard exterior and, and that type of thing, but a, a wonderful coach to be able to bring players together. And I suppose a bit like, you know, Sheedy and Matthews, these guys that went to clubs for a long time and had a lot of success. You know, they're amazing people. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because those sort of three guys that I mentioned really sort of all played similar positions, didn't they? Really all hard, hard nosed, you know, bloody relentless footballers. That, and maybe that's a, a good bloody thing to have behind you, you know, as, as a coach. But uh, they were, you know, exceptional coaches and exceptional people. I know them all quite well. So, um, yeah, but Moldass is yeah, he's a beauty, mate, for sure. We're talking to Dean Kemp on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be right back. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, and Dean Kemp has been our magnificent guest today. So, Dean, actually, I want to ask you, before we get into the next topic of conversation here, did you, did you pride yourself on your consistency? I mean, an amazing run of games from your first year until the year 2000. So that was 11 seasons, 17 games, your lowest contribution, and even that only happened twice in those 11 seasons. You won a best and fairest, but finished runner-up another three times. So did you pride yourself on that? We'll get to the, the challenges you faced in a moment, but it was an extraordinary run straight off the bat. Yeah, it was, mate. I was very lucky because... Um uh, pre-season started in 89-90 in and, and that was when I was drafted and I had a bit of a sore groin um, and um, said to the doctors and to my old house, I said, oh, my groin's a bit sore, you know, and it's been a bit sore for a couple of weeks. I hadn't sort of told anyone and I said, I think it's feeling, you know, and getting worse and worse. And, and my old house said, all right, well, let's get in there and get it sorted out and, um, you know, get it operated on. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, yeah, we'll get it operated, get surgery and, Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let me have a think about that. So I had to think about it that night, you know, come back to train the next day. And I said, Oh, I think, think that might be pushing a bit too far. I don't think I need surgery. You know, I said, I think I just need a rest. I feel fine now. So it's amazing what a little bit of uh, tempting can do from someone to say, You're going to need surgery for your groin to get better. And then mentally, I, I thought about the surgery. I thought, No, no, I don't think I want to go down that path. I'm quite frightened of knife. So we didn't have any surgery. And, and lucky enough, I, I got over the bit of a groin complaint. Maybe it wasn't too much at all now when I think about it. Wow. And, uh, and played in a pre-season match uh, against Maney on the wing, Chris Mayne Waring. And, and, and I went pretty good, actually. I got a few kicks and, and got through the game. And then Mauro said, OK, you might have a bit of a chance. And then all of a sudden, it just sort of happened. And, um, yeah, I lined up on the wing against um, uh, in uh, Collingwood, the first game against Collingwood in 1990. And obviously, they went on to win the, win the premiership. And, and I lined up on, on the great Darren Mullane, you know. So um, I can always remember standing there on the wing. I thought, far out, you know, Mullane's a big man, six foot two, whatever, 90 odd kgs. And there I was, 70 kgs, ring of wet, you know. And I can always remember that moment and, and sitting there, you know, thinking, far out, is this real? You know, how quick this has happened. And a year ago, I was back with my mates in Kalgoorlie. And now, you know, we're on uh, on centre stage, sort of thing. So, yeah. And I was, 
I looked across the ground, I seen Paul Pios on the other wing. Fudu is his nickname, and Fudu was playing a young guy called Graham Wright. I think it might have been his first year or something as well. And I thought, all right, he looks like more my size, you know. So I zipped around the back of the of the square and said to Pudu, and Pudu had been on the smell and salts and that, so he's fired up, ready to go. And um, he looked at me, he said, yeah, what's going on? I said, mate, Mick just said, you got, this young guy's going to be a bit quick for you, better go around on that old bloke I'm playing on, he's a bit slower. So he switched around and off we went. And anyway, we had, it was a good game. It was a great game. We won that game and there was a big brawl and, and Tony Francis got about eight or 10 weeks of kicking and, you know, and I saved Wusher a couple of times from getting belted up. And, you know, so it all worked out well for everyone. And, um, I can always remember I had a shower and the boys were all, you know, happy after the game. Just walking out the door and, and tapped me on the shoulder and it was Moldhouse. He told me, come in here quickly, just have a quick chat. And I said, oh, no first game, perfect. You know, he's going to let me know how well I've played and he gave me the biggest dressing down. You know, I'm the coach and you don't make any decisions. And, you know, laid the law down pretty good to me and then sort of winked at me and said, but you did it right, you know. So off I went and um, we had a good night and that was my introduction to really AFL footy and, and something that I always remembered. And, and it's true, you know, like when you're a young guy and I tell that to a lot of young kids come through the system from the country or whatever, you always look up to these guys on TV and think, how could I possibly go and play, you know? But when you get there and you train and you play and you see the, the you know, the familiar things that they do at training and what they do and you learn quickly and understand that, you know, none of them are better than you. It's just you've got to have confidence in yourself to go out there and show what you can do. And a big learning curve for me, you know, to realise that you weren't good enough to play there. And, and a lot of people have that sort of doubt, I reckon, in their mind, but they need, need not worry about it when they get there. If they've done the work, you know, you, you're there for some reason. That reason is to play footy, so. Indeed. And uh, obviously to have the ability to orchestrate matchups on the fly, which you, you proved. Oh, it was brilliant. Great. You know, yeah. that was a good move. I thought it was a good move, and I was looking at a couple other things I could have done on the day. But, uh... <laughs> I like, I like that. That's good, isn't it? So it's like praising public discipline in private, which was the, exactly. easy the old coaching mantra. Exactly. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, you know, that consistency, amazing. Yet the end came about suddenly, didn't it? And that was by virtue of, you know, concussion symptoms that were very serious. So can you remember the first time that you, you were concussed, Dean? Oh, as a kid, maybe. I remember one time playing uh, around a mate's house on a concrete floor and slipping over and hitting my head, you know. And, and <laughs> right. It was a slippy. We put water on there and we're skidding around, in the, you know, in the garage sort of thing. I remember cracking my head and um, then I just went home and went to bed, you know. It was in the afternoon, I remember, because it was very tight, you know. When you get concussed, you get tired. You know, and um, once all the sort of pain gets sort of, sort of subsides a bit, and so not really that much. You know, I only vaguely remember it as maybe once at anything like that. But just when I got to playing footy, uh, I was lucky enough to never get knocked out or anything playing up in Kalgoorlie, and um, I had a lot of cousins and older brothers and that used to look after me, give me a bit of awareness out there on the ground, which was good. Most of them could fight, so that was good as well, you know. So I never got any trouble up there. But I remember the, the shot that I got from Rashudo. Jamison on hands and knees gives it across the cousins. The kick. Caught him high. Takes a bit of courage, Bruce, to get up when you've been hit like that. He's got plenty of that, Kemp. No question about that. The stretcher will come out now for him. Kemp just didn't see him at all. The top of the shoulder, I think, has got him almost on the chin around the face. Left shoulder in, coming up and under. It was like an uppercut. I don't think Mike Tyson would have got up from that. You know, that one there was, I think I might have missed one week maybe. I was going to play, but after that, but um, I think, did I miss two? Two. One, two. two. Yeah. And I know because I had a headache, a hell of a headache for a while, you know, after that. I don't even think I got a free kick, you know. Ruger got away with that, but nothing, didn't he? It's unbelievable. Whenever I talk that lunatic too, he says, oh, 
I said, mate, you should have got 10 weeks of that. You know that. You haven't bought me no wine, no choppers or nothing since then. So, yeah, that, that one really stuck in my mind. And then also I got a good one one Friday night against Richmond. Um, I think it was Turner, uh, full back for Richmond. And, and he, he got me a, a good shot as well. And when you get concussion, you get one or two. And then all of a sudden it just becomes a bit of an issue if you if you get another good one and, and you just need time for you for your brain, I reckon, to settle down, you know. And, uh, you know, the, what all the, you know, the rules and regulations are having now, I think it's wonderful. It's awesome, you know. You've got to look after after the head and, and the kids now get the best, you know, the best treatment. So it's it's really good. And, um, you know, as I got towards the end of my career, I, you know, as you say, the first 10, 11 years, I really was lucky. I was playing consistently every week and week in, week out and getting some big hits here and there, but nothing. And then towards the later end of my career, it just become, uh, you know, I just got more... Any time I had a good side bump or a good shepherd, I could really sort of put me off balance and then you start to lose your vision. And, and there's a terrible scenario that you go through that probably every player that has concussion is the steps that you know are coming, you know, from the numbness in your fingers to your cheeks and your tongue, the blotching of the vision, you know what I mean? It was sort of like a thing that you knew it was going to happen and you knew you had to get off the ground quickly just, you know, to settle down and sit down and see if you could come good. But but really, you shouldn't be coming back on when, when you have that sort of thing happen. So that was towards the end of my career. And concussion back then was... Oh, not a soft, but, you know, if you got concussed, it was like, you know, is there really anything matter with you? Get out there, you'll be fine, you know. Like, but when my vision and that was starting to go, that was really something that concerned me. And then I started to have some, some memory sort of uh, relapses, you know, from driving to and from training, you know, where I lived and that sort of thing. So I had a few scary things there. I've been, you know, lucky enough, you know, don't get me wrong, I still have headaches and things like that now, but it, uh, it's something that uh, I suppose will always be with me going forward, but that's just part of life and, and you know, you just got to, I'm just hopeful in the future that you know, it doesn't catch up you. That's sort of what worries you really. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And and so your final year, 2001, you were made co-captain alongside uh, Benny Cousins, but that was the season you managed just the eight games. And I was going to ask you about the symptoms. So is that, as it's been described, is you actually forgot how to get home from training on a particular occasion, maybe forgot some family names? I'm not sure if this has been embellished over time, but at its scary. Yeah, no, the, main, the main ones were just sort of, uh, yeah, just for getting away home, you know, which is uh, probably a bit crazy to say. But... Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, uh, when, when it's overcast, things look a bit different to me. I don't cloudy you know, out in the roads and that sort of thing. That sort of seems to trigger something in me. I don't know what it is, but that uh, everything sort of looks a bit foreign. And I don't know if there's any sort of link there or anything, but it's something that uh, is still with me now. And I, I think about it a fair bit, but it's just, uh, I think it's just a thing that you just need to, to cope with and, and learn to, uh, you know, accept and just... Uh, you know, just get regular checkups and get sorted and make sure that I know that when the doctors did look at my brain, they were pretty impressed with the size of it and um, they hadn't sort of seen one that big. So I said, you must mean you're pretty smart, aren't you? I said, I'm pretty switched on, yeah. But um, they're hard to get a laugh out of a lot of those surgeries, aren't they? It's like that when you go and get surgery and you sort of try and crack a few jokes. But I thought I'd lost I thought I'd lost it. I, I, I thought I'd lost you there for a while. I'm glad you haven't lost your sense of humor, mate. I, I'm sorry to take you down a serious path. I... um. Yeah, because I, I I know it would be something that would that would you know be on your mind from from time to time, and and that's understandable. Just before we let it go, I think did you win? You won financial compensation from West Coast. I mean, was that a was that an arduous process? Was it a sensitive one given your relationship with the club? You're you're a champion at that club, but the steps that you went through there was it a was it an awkward process? No, it, def- it definitely wasn't awkward at all. Actually, Trevor Nesbitt and the club were just brilliant <laughs> to me. You know, like. They knew I was having problems and they helped me out in that way and it was just, it was easy. It was was very lucky, really. I mean, they just 
there was no dramas at all and, and I think you know Trevor Nesbitt made it like that so it was it just helped me retire and finish off and, and, and get sort of on my feet and just keep moving forward so and then, you know they're always there now for me I mean you know any doctor stuff or any issues I have I, all I need to do is ring them and uh, they'll get me in straight away to wherever I need to go yeah. or whatever needs to be done so I've been lucky in that way really that's great so the do, way they've helped me yeah and we, we only know, I only know what I read but does that mean you're not involved in any you know, concussion class action that would appear to be building against the league? Yeah, yeah, I'm not involved in anything like that, no. No, I'm going good at the moment, mate, so I'm just happy. Yeah. I don't really want to, like, bring this stuff up anyway. It just sort mm. of brings back yeah. some pretty ordinary memories and things. So I just, you know, I forever get a lot of people calling me about it and that sort of thing, but, you know, I sort of rather just let it, yeah. Let it be. Well, hopefully you can leave it be for a long time. You, you're, you're, mate, you're as sharp as a duck today. I, I don't think I've laughed as hard as this in one of these interviews for a long time, so I need to thank you. Oh, no worries, mate. When you get the big dollars, that's what I'm here for. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm here for. And Hutchie's still got my address, hasn't he, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, I think and, he's got uh, that on my file. my PA box and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he does. Okay. Um, hey, Dean, I really appreciate you joining us today. I mean, individual success team success you achieved everything you could in the game and certainly west coast fans will never forget your role in that golden run in the 90s a 92 premiership you're about to celebrate and the way in which you played the game meant you occupied i reckon that rare space where the love from eagle fans met the admiration from rival ones as well which is certainly rare air so well done on it all and thanks a lot for joining us thanks very much for having me it's always good good fun to walk down uh, you know and remember a few old stories and, and a few old footy mates but uh, just being a part of the, the whole footy family you know from not just the eagles but you know i've got some good mates from north melbourne anthony stevens and catch up with a few boys so it's it's a it's a wonderful sport to be involved in and all the mates and friendships you get is the most important thing just need Mick to fix you up for that bill as well for that job. Perfect. That I can't wait for that flat white. I'm going to get a large one too. <laughs> I might even have two sugars. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online, find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.